Hello and welcome back to Where Are All My Friends. Damn, this is a cool one. I love when I can do an episode with somebody that I've known for so long because there's always something that I learn about their story or something in there that's just so surprising and cool. This week is with Ryan Soroka, who is an extremely successful booking agent. He started at a very early age. He had his own booking agency that crushed it and now works at United Talent, UTA. So we tell his whole story. We also get into some really good advice to anybody chasing the path, really just anybody looking to grow in their professional career, but then specifically talking about things that you can do as an artist to get the attention of a booking agent, to get better tours, and to grow your own touring fan base. So this was a really fun episode. We also get into some shenanigans at the end. He just started a podcast himself called Reality, which is incredible. And if you know Ryan or as you hear his story, like it's a, it's a good thing that this man has a podcast because he has a hilarious personality. All that said, it made for a great episode. I really hope you enjoy it. Let's go. Here we are, another episode of Where Are All My Friends? I'm with Ryan Soroka, and he is a real friend that I have known for some time, years, almost a decade, if I'm... I think it has been, uh, yeah, 2000, I think 2011 was when we first met. That's so crazy. I always like to get the chance to talk to people that I've known for a very long time, especially when we are in similar industries and they have very impressive stories. So I feel like this makes a lot of sense. You've even started podcasting yourself, which I love. Uh, so I think this is going to be a really fun one. I appreciate you taking the time to do it. Of course, man. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, dog. Um, so if anybody doesn't know who you are, super briefly, uh, just explain who you are, what you do. Sure. I'm Ryan Soroka. I'm a music agent at the United Talent Agency, and I book tours and develop live strategies for a lot of really great bands and artists. And yeah, you've been, uh, you've been in that lane for a minute. I like to start at the spot where you kind of found your thing or your passion in music or whatever that is. And the one thing that stands out to me is you've been doing this for some time now. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was born and raised in New Jersey. I've always had very supportive, music-loving family. And, you know, my brother and I were always in a bunch of different bands growing up. And it all kind of started, honestly, around seventh grade when I was in like a really supremely shitty pop punk band. And, you know, we... Uh, we were starting to get like some attention. I'm not really quite sure how, but we started to get like a bunch of plays and stuff on purevolume.com, which is a website that no longer exists. And at the time, me and my other bandmates who were also in seventh grade were like, hey, dude, we got to play some shows. So naturally, nobody would put us on actual shows because of our age. So we figured, oh, well, why don't we go and like rent out the local fire hall and start like putting on our own shows with, with our friends because when you're from, you know, the suburbs of New Jersey, there's not really too much to do on the weekends except maybe, I don't know, play Xbox or go to the movies or something. So we thought it'd be a cool opportunity for like us to be able to have our band play shows and go out and like give our friends something to do. And, you know, after our first show, I think we made like $400 and afterwards we were like, dude, we are rich. Like let's yes. like... It's time to quit school. Like, you know, all of this, all of this whole like calculus and everything like this, not, there's no point in it. We might as well just like, just pursue this career in music because obviously we know what we're doing with running, running concerts in, in the suburbs of, of North Caldwell, New Jersey. 
Um, so <laughs> it, it was cool because, you know, we we were doing it more often. We were getting our friends to play. And, you know, suddenly like some bands from, from out of town were starting to hear that we we're doing some good shows. And actually, just like a side note, I ended up booking All Time Low's first show in New Jersey when they were just on tour with Amber Pacific and Adelphi. Um, no an, an, way. Another good friend, Eric Tobin, was actually the booking agent for that tour. And uh, and it was just kind of coincidental. And, you know, we kept doing shows. But then at a certain point, I think I was around like 14 or 15, I didn't really want to risk money that I didn't have anymore, which is the biggest issue in being a concert promoter. So I wanted yeah. to figure out exactly like what can I can do to still be working and helping out bands. And, you know, that was that was really my passion at the time. So... I, uh, I, you know, I started thinking, you know, nobody's going to want someone that's in high school to manage them. And I don't have the money to try to start a label or anything. But at the time, my space was very relevant. And I figured I could probably help bands that are on MySpace find shows out of town um, just by connecting with other promoters. And I kind of just fell into the position of being a music agent just by trying to kind of like link up bands from uh, you know, from one part of the country with shows outside of their region, and uh, so at that time, yeah. did you think that that could be a career? Like, were you like, okay, there's other agents that do this, or was it just kind of like, wait a minute, I kind of have this lane, I have a grip on MySpace, I can I can make this work. I kind of started to get acclimated with the idea of being an agent just from being promoting shows, and truthfully, at the time when I was running shows. I would try to avoid bands that were working with agents because I was like, all right, cool. I can't afford this. If, you know, if there's like an agent involved, like this band's probably too legitimate and not down to go and, uh, you know, perform at a fire hall in New Jersey. So yeah. I kind of like got acclimated with the actual job at that point. And I knew that it would be a career where I don't personally have that much risk, but you could still be very hands-on with the bands. And it also gives you an opportunity to work with a good number of bands because, you know, you're just focusing on one specific lane as opposed to the all-encompassing role of a manager. Um, yeah. And, you know, I found a few bands that I really that I really loved that I wasn't personally connected to at the time, but I just kind of fell in love with on MySpace and just started reaching out and just kind of just did it by trial by error. And, you know, I made a lot of mistakes at the beginning and I'm, I'm sure I've made a lot of mistakes along the way also, but eventually just figured out exactly how the whole thing plays out. And, uh, you know, the, one of the first bands that I, that I came across is this band called The Dangerous Summer, who at the time were unsigned. Uh, they were just like a cool band out of Ellicott City, Maryland. And, you know, I reached out to them on MySpace and just kind of started helping them get some shows in the region. Most of them were terrible. And eventually uh, they signed to Hopeless Records. And that's kind of what start, started putting the wheels in motion for getting some sort of, you know, professional experience and being thrown into the actual music industry. Damn. So that was your first band. That was the first one to sign and kind of like get it going on a bigger level. Yeah. That was up with the first one and they started to get some attention. And, uh, you know, fr from that, I started to see some other bands from the area that I thought was very interesting and that I fell in love with. And that was, uh, that was, but that was a catalyst for everything. Also simultaneously at the same time, I was working for the festival Bamboozle, which no longer exists. Uh, and I was, you worked for Bamboozle? Yeah, I well, what? It, that's that's a whole that's a whole different story. But while I was starting to 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 uh, to book bands and to and and still running shows at the time, uh, I learned that the 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 creator John D'Esposito, was actually from my hometown, coincidentally. So I just randomly reached out to him 
and just sent him an email to his like AOL account. And he got back to me, uh, you know, just based off of the coincidence that we're both from the same area. So it was kind of like learning the ropes of of booking tours while also kind of starting to to uh, to figure out things while working for John and Bamboozle at the same time. That's a good, perfect storm combo of all that coming together. Because the other thing is, the, did you mention your age in any of this yet? Because I feel like that path and you kind of getting on that legitimate level happened pretty quickly when you were pretty young in it. I definitely did not mention my age. I'm not going to say that I catfish bands, but I definitely uh, intentionally used a Hotmail account so that way people would think that I was older than I was when reaching out to <laughs> bands or promoters. So, like, yeah, because how old were you when you started, like, taking it seriously? I think, I think I started taking it seriously with A Dangerous Summer, which I think I was 16 at the time, 15 or 16 at the time. You know, yeah. I, I, I booked a few tours at that point for a few of my friends' bands, and, you know, they all went terribly. But, uh, you know, I think I started actually really, I'm not going to say stressing, but I really started, like, focusing and, like, making sure, like, I was putting as much time into that as I was school when I was in, when I was maybe 15 or 16. And then, yeah, because I remember like our first meeting and, and first hearing of you, I probably was hearing of you around that time, but then you came to a set it off show when I was tour managing set it off. And we were interested in you like as a booking agent. And we were like nervous. We we're like, oh my God, Ryan Soroka is coming to this show. And we didn't know your age. Like we for sure didn't. And it was like, we were ready for you to be like very like suit agent. And I think the first thing you said, it was a show in Philly and you're like, yeah, cool. I'll be over there or something. And we asked about something about parking or something. And you're like, oh yeah, yeah, I rode my bike. And I was like, oh, well, I'm not from Philly. It's the city. Like uh, people probably don't have cars, whatever. But like, it was this like combination of all at the same time being like, oh damn, homie's very young and killing it. And I don't remember how old you were for that show or like how much further in that was. Yeah, which is which is hilarious. I was 18 at that time. That was when I was I moved to Philadelphia to go to college. And I definitely I've actually still never owned a car. So I used to bike everywhere. And I used to I used to do that even way before I was living in Philadelphia. So I definitely I distinctly remember you and I met. It was at some really supremely like super shitty DIY venue that wasn't even in Philadelphia. It was like on the outskirts of town that like the subway wouldn't even reach to, which is why I had the bike there. So I, th oh. I think I remember biking like it had to have been like a 30 or 40 minute bike ride from my, from my, uh, from my dorm at the time. And I remember meeting you guys there and it was a, it was a great show, but it was also like the, it was like a floor show at like a pizzeria that yeah, it was like very bizarre, but I was like, yeah, this band's pretty good. And it was- I, I remember was, the show being terrible. <laughs> I mean- like, oh, we blew it. It was it was good for what it was. and yeah. But it was funny because, I mean, I was 18 at that point. So between um, when I first started figuring out how to book bands and at that point, um, I started kind of adding some more artists to my roster. Uh, I met a dude at the time uh, who was in a band called This Time Next Year named Brad Wiseman. Oh. And at the time, Brad was booking his own band. And then eventually I was booking Brad's band because I, I loved this time next year and I loved the music they were putting out. And they signed the Equal Vision Records. And, you know, kind of like all the, the perfect storm of stuff happened that right before or right around the time that I was going to college, um, Dan Sancho over at Equal Vision was interested in possibly 
uh, investing and becoming a partner along with Steve Reddy and and helping me actually organize an, an agency and, and build my company. So around that time, which I guess is back in 2010, you know, we met and we, and we discussed everything and eventually they, they really helped me actually build the foundation for it. And then once that happened, Brad came in and he was my partner for since the beginning of the Soroka agency and yeah. we're kind of off to the races from there. Okay. Yeah. Cause we, de- yeah, we knew you when you had Soroka agency started. Yeah. Yeah. Which, okay. That makes sense. And yeah. Cause by that time it was a thing, like all of the work that you would put in, like you were 18, but it was its own thing and you had a roster and it, you held it down for that time and that scene. Yeah, I mean, we had a really cool niche of bands that we were working with, and it was, you know, I I grew up predominantly in the Warp Tour world, and I really loved, you know, my favorite band still to this day is Less Than Jake, so I still love all of those bands, and that was, I was just kind of picking up a bunch of, like, pop punk and and hardcore and Warp Tour bands and a few pop bands I just really loved, and that was the foundation of it all, and then eventually, you know, I was able to to um to to build up a little bit of a roster that started to get some attention from other bands that were on the on the come up and it all just kind of worked out perfectly. Did you have any moments as that was all happening where you're like I can't believe this is real? Like at the time just like holy shit, this band hit me up or I'm working with this band or I sold out this show. I I think it's hard honestly because and I think this is definitely an issue with the job that I do as a whole is that because you're so focused on you know, people's careers like four, six, 12 months down the line, you're, it's really difficult for you to, to be in the moment and like understand and, and appreciate the great things that are happening at the time. So like, even if I was really excited about a new band that I was signing or something that I was just working out or a tour that was selling really well, I was probably stressed out about a million other things that were happening. So like, it's not, it's, it's a little bit bittersweet, you know, like, I remember specifically like 2013 was a really pivotal year for our company at the time because I think we had, I want to say, eight or 10 bands that were on Warp Tour between Brad and I. And we were stoked because that was like the year that Story So Far was on for the first time and Set It Off was on and Action Nine was on and, you know, Forever Came Calling were on also. And, And it was just great because we were it felt like we were finally like arrived within everything and we were able to to compete with the other agencies that were within the same lane as us. However, yeah. also at the same time, we're stressed out because we're like, dude, like, you know, people are going after your bands and people are like sniffing around and you don't know exactly like what's going to be ahead of us like six months from now, et cetera. So it's just, it's difficult to really appreciate things in the moment. And that's, it's a personal flaw of mine that I'm I'm trying to get better at, but it's, you know, it's 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 hard within the actual role itself. Dude, I deal with that all the time. I'm the same exact way. But th- th- that's funny. I I feel like sometimes there's those moments where you're like, "Damn, was there ever a spot where financially you were like, "Oh shit, I can survive." Like, was there a spot or even where you're like, oh, damn, I can save money or like, where did it like start to be like, all right, yeah, like this is, this is real. Um, that's a good question. I think, well, it's, it's interesting because I was doing it all while in school. So it wasn't necessarily the, um, it wasn't necessarily like my, my primary focus. Like I kind of like was able to make excuses for myself and be like, all right, well, you know, even though the bands aren't making an insane amount of money right now it's still a great foundation for what would hopefully build up and actually be a very, uh, a very, you know, big, big revenue driving company. 
However, I think it was probably around that same summer where 2013, I remember there was just like the perfect storm of a lot of things going on. Like we had all those bands around Warp Tour. I was working with this artist at the time named Alex Goot, and he had a whole tour that completely blew out everywhere. And oh, yeah, he was like OG YouTube. That he was, was like he was first... like an OT YouTuber at the time, and it was it was cool. It was you know it, it was only Mike Ferry and myself working on Alex at the time, and he didn't have a label or anything. And we were just like, it was kind of like one of the first few YouTube tours, and we put it out, yeah. and it crushed. Like it did like five hundred plus tickets per market, and you know we didn't really know exactly how it would do, and it it, it superseded all expectations. Um, but also at the time, I signed my first non-music artist who is still actually currently my longest my longest like client right now is David Garibaldi and I signed him back in 2013 also and he's like one of my favorite people in the entire world he's he's a performance painter uh, and he makes these insane paintings within like seven to ten minutes and and it was crazy because at the time when we first started working together it was definitely like a new lane that I wasn't quite sure exactly like you know, there's a lot of education that I had to go into and figure out who the buyers were and like where it works and where it doesn't. But like, you know, once we kind of figured out the formula behind it and and his his calendar started getting crazy, that's that's probably when it felt like it was actually like a thing and the company was like coming to its own. Yeah. So between him, Goot, Warp Tour, all that, like 2013 was like hitting a stride. That was like the stride. I mean, we definitely had some great moments beforehand. Like, you know, I was working with that band Action Item for for a significant amount of time at that point and they were on Warped Tour that year and they've had a lot of really great growth as a band up to that point. Um, yeah. But like, it just kind of felt like, you know, everything between 2007 to 2010 was like me learning how to actually do the job and then everything from 2010 to about 2013 was like us trying to like dig our shovel in the sand to try to uh, to try like make a name of a Soroka agency, and then like 2013 on is when it felt like it hit a, a critical point. Yeah, I felt that too because seeing it, like it just felt like you had leverage. And I remember that Warp tour, and there were, I mean, I knew like set it off. I was working with them. That was all you. But then it was just everything else around it, and it was like, oh damn! It was kind of like you're like proud to almost flex it. It's like, oh yeah, we're on Soroka Agency. What's good? I, I mean, dude, it, it was it was also funny. Like that that summer, I remember we were trying to figure out like something really cool to give some of the bands just that way. It's like, uh, hey, like a lot of bands work towards getting to Warp Tour and that's a dream of theirs. Yeah. And, you know, we wanted to make people feel super accomplished and, and stoked that they're on and have something that they can have like as a small memento. So like, you know, Brad and I were talking with, with and Dan and we're talking, we're like, all right, well, you know, should we like get people like t-shirts or like, you know, something like that. And Brad was always like the genius of random merch ideas as a guy who was in a band that did Warp Tour. He was like, no, nah, bro, people want towels. And I was mm-hmm. like, I was like, towels? And he was like, yeah, dude. Like, so we put our entire like like marketing budget at the time and just making surrogate agency towels. And the next thing you know, they're like all over Warp Tour. And I'm like, I'll give it to the dude. Like as far as like making uh, making people proud to be part of the agency, like I was having people come up to me that weren't even at the company that were like, hey dude, like any chance I could just get one of those towels? Like it will be really helpful right now. <laughs> I remember that dude. I think that towel is probably still in my parents' closet. <laughs> I think I think we have one or two of them over here also. But But yeah, that was great. Dude, that's so funny. That's so real. So then, okay, so there was a lot of evolution for you, though, in your professional career in your lane because Soroka Agency went up until what year? 
2016, April 2016 was was our last month as doing the Soroka Agency. So that's that's essentially three years of full-on ripping. Because since 2013, like, y'all had that on lock. That was a very big time for Warp Tour. Warp Tour was still very popular and, like, in full swing. And I feel like you guys really had that fully on lock. Um, and then you guys both kind of pivoted. Are we missing anything, like, in that three-year rip? Like, any other, like, good highlights of, like... Because Soroka Agency is very special, and I, I want to talk about that. No, and I, I definitely appreciate that, man. I mean, it's, you know, my personal taste definitely shifted a little bit during that time. I mean, I was still signing a lot of bands, you know, from that world that I really love. Like, I love Our Last Night, and I love Hands Like Houses and, and Hail the Sun, and those are bands that I signed, you know, 2014 onwards about. Um, yeah. But also, like, my personal taste kind of shifted a little bit also where I was starting to love bands like Floor and From Indian Lakes and, uh, you know, stuff a little bit more on the popular side of things. So I was I was really exploring that. Meanwhile, you know, we we hired a few people who were at the company for a while and we were trying to figure out exactly how to continue expanding things. Um, you know, we lost a few bands that, you know, went to bigger agencies and it kind of truthfully like we we built something that was really cool. However, it's it's really challenging uh, to build an independent agency just because, and, and, you know, people listening may or may not know this, but agencies don't have any contracts with their artists. I was so, just going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, at any time, you know, you can build something up from scratch and it can get to a certain point where they're selling a bunch of tickets and they're doing really well. But if someone comes with potentially a bigger opportunity for them, the artist is at a crossroads where they're like, all right, well, you know, we've done a lot with Ryan and with the company at this point. However, I need to do what's best for me. And with that, I'm going to go and take this opportunity to possibly work at a, be with a bigger agency and hopefully it, it pans out. So it sucks for us, but it's kind of the nature of the business, unfortunately. So we're just hitting a, you know, we're just hitting a critical point where we're just overstressed with the idea that some of our bands that we've been building are going to keep getting taken from us and going to bigger agencies. And, you know, Brad and I wanted a few different things like with what we were doing sonically and, you know, we're, we're obviously very close and there was never really a fallout between us, but we both kind of looked at each other back in 2016 and we're like, all right, well, we feel like we took this as far as we might be able to right now, just because the, the current landscape at that time was that a lot of the agencies were consolidating. It was right around when, you know, UTA purchased the agency group and like, it was after like a million other companies had already been swallowed up by Paradigm and, you know, just a bunch of different other boutiques were just kind of going away. So we, uh, you know, we just kind of sat down together when we were in San Francisco back in 2016 and just, you know, we were just like, hey, dude, like we've done a lot of great things right now, but we feel like we kind of both need to go and go our different ways and, and try to learn and hopefully it'll be good for us, for ourselves and for our artists. And, you know, we got to try to figure out what else is out there for us and see if we can we can do justice for ourselves right now. Yeah. Dude, I feel that so heavily because, you know, it's like if a band signs to a label, it's a contract. Most of the time, management is under a contract. It yeah. doesn't have to be. But it does feel like agents are the ones where it's just like there's not really contracts. And you see that so often where artists will stay with the underdogs and like work their way up and stay on the boutique agents. And then they see that opportunity and then they'll jump and try it and I know, that kind of bums me out at times because I see on a firsthand level how much care and how much you put into it, uh, and it's hard. I can only imagine for you guys to build such a big thing and still experience that. Um, I don't know. I feel it. 
Yeah, I, I mean, it, it is what it is. But, you know, with that, there's definitely a lot of bands out there that, you know, that you don't take for granted. Like, you know, it was Brad was with the story so far from the start of the band. And Damn. they, I'll, I'll be honest, they were approached by fucking every agency, every manager. Like, there were times where just like everyone was just fucking hounding trying to to work with this band and i gotta give them all the credit in the world they always stuck with brad even even when making different management changes they always stuck with brad and it it took them to the point where they are right now and that's it's definitely a loyalty that's not taken for granted and, and super appreciated yeah i think that that's a lesson i don't know i mean i think that artists should be aware of that because it's easy to see the bigger opportunities elsewhere a big name and think it's a big opportunity but in my experience, when you have people that truly believe in you, it doesn't matter their status or their company title, because if they're working for you and they're going to go to bat and die for you, that is so much more valuable. Yeah. So I don't know. And no, you did 100%. keep a decent amount of your clients. And oh, so, oh, sorry, sorry. So take me then to what you did next. Oh, okay. Um, so, so back in 2016, after Brian and I had that conversation, we, you know, we kind of went to go see what our different options were. And when I was graduating college around 2014, I had already been approached by a few different agencies. But at the time, I decided that I wanted to continue and seeing where the Soroka agency path would lead us, uh, just because it would be the first time to actually be able to work on it without being in school at the time. And that was yeah. super appealing. Um, but then once we kind of came to the conclusion that we wanted to explore greener pastures, I reached out to a bunch of the same people that I already been talking to and, you know, talked to a few of the the same contacts that originally hit me up. And, you know, out of all the options, it just seemed like UTA made the most sense because, you know, I, I met some people at UTA and, and then I also were close with a bunch of people that were at the agency group prior to it being at UTA. And, you know, just pulled the trigger on it and have been there ever since June 2016. Has that been cool for you, like going from kind of your own company fighting all of your battles and not having no network, but like your, your core is your agency to then being a part of a bigger company. Like, are there benefits that you didn't realize or? There's definitely, yeah, there's definitely both like intrinsic, but also very obvious benefits. I mean, I think part of the benefit is that you have a lot more people that are working with you. So that way you can build a team and you can actually like do a lot more than just book tours. You know, you can have people that were working on branding or sync opportunities or just all the non-tour stuff that you don't necessarily have the reach to. But I also think, you know, some of the intrinsic benefits is that when you deal with like hardship, whether it's like losing a client or like just some stupid shit that happens, like when I was doing it independently, I thought it was like within a vacuum. So if like, so if like, if I got fired from a band, God forbid, it would like, fucking crush me where I would be like, ah, this is like terrible. Like, uh, like it's like, it's like a singular, like I fucked this up, like blah, 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 it's happening. But then like when you're at a company, regardless of what company it is, and like you kind of just see that like, you know, other people are dealing with certain issues, whether it's like difficult managers or very difficult clients or promoters that are acting difficult. Like it's, it makes you at least feel like a little bit better because you're like, all right, cool. Like mentally this doesn't make it seem like this is just me fucking up every day of my life like this is just the situation and how it is and a lot of the issues that i deal with aren't as bad as issues that other people have to deal with yeah that's actually that's really interesting and i totally feel you like being independent gives you all this freedom and you can pivot around and do whatever not have to answer to anybody but 
it also, you can kind of get caught in your head and things can really mess you up. So that's cool just to hear that side of it of like you have a genuine support system and like group now. Yeah, it, it definitely was eye-opening. You told me like your taste in music was changing and I think that this is a really fun spot for me to catch up with you on in this podcast is your roster did kind of change and I think that something about you throughout your entire career is you've pretty much followed your heart and your taste in music. Like you'll book the stuff that you like. Um, so when did you start, like obviously floor. And I remember, I remember a South by Southwest, like being with you watching them one time when it was like pretty early. And I was like, all right, I get it. I see you. Um, so what are some artists that you've worked with now? And like, where have you kind of pivoted that side of it? Like what genre are you listening to? And like, what are you working with? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely still working with a good chunk of rock bands I'm excited about, but a, mm -hmm. a majority of my roster now is more on like the pop and alternative side. So, you know, I've, I'm still working with Our Last Night and Hands Like Houses and Hail the Sun. Um, but yes. also, you know, now I have Floor, I'm working with the Aces, who have an incredible album that's coming out in June, working with uh, this band called Slender Bodies, which if you haven't heard them yet, one of the best bands. Yeah, check them out. I mean, if you love doing yoga, drinking kombucha and burning Palo Santo <laughs> in your bedroom, then you're going to fucking love Slender Bodies. They're, <laughs> they're incredible. Uh, it's like, it's originally like a two-piece that they're from, uh, they're from Northern California, but it's a two-piece where they just kind of have some just fucking chill, gnarly, like riffy guitar tones, but it's awesome. Um, and besides them, I'm working with One OK Rock and Morgan and Lauren Sanderson is a new artist I'm really excited about. And uh, yeah, dude, it's, it's been interesting. And uh, aside from those, I've, and this is definitely a benefit of, of 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 having come to an agency is I've been able to kind of diversify a little bit also. And, you know, my background is my mom was born and raised in Dominican Republic. So I've definitely listened to a lot of Latin music growing up. And it's been cool to kind of just like dip my toe in that world also and have, you know, picked up a few artists uh, in the Latin world like Monsieur Perinet and Vetusta Morla and Mariah and a bunch of other things. So that's been that's been a fun world to to, to learn and figure out. Dude, I did. I legitimately did not realize that you've spread out into so many different genres. Now that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I've kept. I still kept the roster relatively slim right now. Just I'm, I'm my my mentality is always kind of to just make sure to have like a relatively smaller roster, so that way you don't overextend yourself. However, it's been cool to just kind of like figure out and take chances on like different genres and try to figure out different worlds, so that so it gets a little bit less monotonous. Yeah, I guess that it would be an interesting balance. Do you find like between all these different genres and obviously they're all like drawing different crowds, such different audiences, does that change it up a lot for you as an agent? Like have, have there been like interesting challenges in working in new genres and like odds and ends of deals that change upon different genres? I think a, a big part of it is just figuring out how the different demographics work with not only like how shows are as far as like, oh, well, these venues work better and these times work better. And like this could be a 21 plus show because no one under 21 plus is coming to come see this band. But also like just kind of understanding how different genres and cities work as far as ticket ticket buying trends. Because, mm -hmm. you know, if we're working with like a pop band and say we put up a tour and it does like 20% or 20 or 30% of, of the ticket inventory, you're like, all right, yeah, that's pretty good. Like, that's going to probably be like, it's probably going to slow down and then eventually pick back up closer to the show. However, like, it's also learning that in other genres, specifically Latin, it'll be like a trickle at the beginning and then pretty much like all the sales are within the last like two or three weeks. 
So it's kind of Jeez, just like that's understanding. gonna be so stressful. It's, it's definitely stressful, that. but it's like just kind of understanding how different worlds work and like not everything is like a one size fits all type situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting to me. But that's cool that you've had the freedom too to like be a part of a bigger agency and still build your roster the way you want to. Yeah, no, 100%. It's it's definitely been awesome. And, you know, it's it's cool because I've been able to team up with a bunch of people. Like uh, there's another agent at my company named Ryan Edmondson who he and I actually, he actually used to be in another shitty pop punk band from New Jersey that used to occasionally play the shows that I would put on at that shitty fire hall in North Caldwell. And, you know, he went and worked at the agency group and then eventually got promoted to be an agent from there. And then when they got acquired to UTA and I went to UTA, we're kind of reunited. So we work on a bunch of bands together, uh, the Aces, Morgan and Slender Bodies being a few of them. So it's it's been really cool to kind of go back and and team up with some other people that I've known forever on on some of these bands. That's so sick. Do you imagine, I feel like somebody like interviewing somebody for like a job on the industry side, it's like you could like drop all this college knowledge, all this and that, graduated tour, you can be like, I was in an East Coast pop punk shitty, a shitty East Coast pop punk band and they're like hired. Yep, that's, <laughs> I feel like that's the hilarious parts of the music industry. I mean, listen, dude, I went to Wharton and I don't think I'm working with anyone else that went to Wharton. So, so it's, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing that the school part really doesn't matter itself. It's crazy, right? It's just like that, whatever that grit is, whatever that is, it's like, figure it out, make it work. Here's these terrible guarantees. Figure out booking shows at rec halls and firehouses. And if you can do that, you're pretty much suited for this. A hundred percent. Okay, did we tell pretty much your story, your come up story? Yeah. I know we abbreviated it a little bit, but I think that pretty much brings us up to speed, right? Yeah, it definitely covers it. Okay, cool. So- Again, what I like to do with this podcast is I love to hear these stories and learn those different bits. Like, I had no idea you worked with Bamboozle, like things like that. Like, that's just so fun to me to learn. But I also like to think about people listening that either want to become an agent or they're in an, they're an artist themselves, they're in a band, and a conversation like this could be very valuable to them, but you don't really have the time to talk to everybody. So... Along that line, I try to ask some questions on the back half just to give advice to anybody that's like chasing this path or any side of that that you can speak to. And uh, one of the biggest strengths that I've observed about you is, and I think this is applicable to anybody on any side of the industry, is I think that you've done a very good job throughout your career of networking and always treating people with respect. And something that honestly honestly inspired me in this podcast was I believe something that you taught me of like you worked so hard to meet a new person every week for a large part of your career and I feel like I watched that pay off but talk to me a little bit about your stance on just networking. I mean I think it's definitely the most important thing that you need to do not only in this career but any career honestly. You know when I graduated from college and moved back to New York, I definitely knew a good chunk of people already. However, there is definitely a lot of people that I would see, whether it's managers that were connected to certain bands or other agents or people at labels where I was just like, all right, cool. I don't know anybody here. And that's that's definitely like a, a roadblock that I'd see. Like I would I would try to find opportunities, whether they're for myself or for my artists, and just kind of think, all right, cool. Like these are the people that are somewhat involved with XYZ thing. However, I don't know anybody there. What could I possibly do to try to make sure I can at least get my foot in the door? 
And, you know, I set a goal actually when I first moved back to, to New York. I was like, all right, I want to set up two or three meetings with new people every single week. I'll just reach yeah. out to people. Damn. I'll just say what's up. Like, fortunately, I had like a little bit of a compelling story behind me where I was just like, hey, I run a boutique booking agency. I've been doing it since I was 15. Like, I see what you're doing. Like, I would just love to get a beer sometime or, or grab a bite to eat or try to figure out like what that other person might be interested in. If they're a baseball fan, that would be very easy for me because I can talk about <laughs> baseball you know, endlessly. Um, but it was just kind of doing that and just building up the network that way. And, you know, you meet one person, suddenly they kind of remind you of someone else that you should be meeting. And maybe there's someone that you tr are ultimately trying to get to. However, you know that a cold email is not necessarily going to get to them. But fortunately, other people just kind of lead you to the path of just connecting with others. And it it just ended up being super, super important, not only because I wanted to expand the reach of who I can possibly reach out to for for business opportunities, but also, you know, a lot of great artists that I end up working with were a result of just networking and people just kind of like sending me links to new music just based off of the fact that we got a beer one night and I don't know, talked about the 2013 World Series or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, like that's what I was gonna say is I could imagine listening to this and being like, okay, cool, easier said than done. But like What's your advice? Like, I just think that you do a good job keeping it very real. There's definitely a right and a wrong way to network. So if somebody's I, like, all right, I need to step it up. Like, what do you, what's the, a good way to start that and not do it the wrong way? I, I mean, if you're going to cold email somebody, I think you need to make it as brief as possible. I mean, uh, not, not to give up totally one of my, one of my trade secrets when I was <laughs> really getting into it when I moved to New York, but I just kept using the phrase, hey, I'm blah, blah, blah. This is blah, blah, blah. I would love to pick your brain sometime. And then just kept it super fucking vague because depending on the person, they would be like, man, I wonder what he wants to pick my brain about. And they would do the meeting or the phone call just for that, which is like not necessarily the, like it's not going to work every single time. However, it was good enough to at least like have a conversation happen. And then once you get to the point where you're actually meeting with people, it was important to just like not actually talk about work. I think that's really honestly like, that should be like plan B or C of the, the things they actually talk about because you're not going to make like meaning, meaningful relationships with anybody if you're just focused on, well, this is what I want to get out of this conversation or this person works with XYZ thing and I want to get information on this. These people don't fucking know you. So the point yeah. was just like, how could I relate to this person on a personal level so that way, you know, we can actually build a friendship and if work stuff works out, great. If not, then like at least you you extended your network and you know, maybe it'll it'll be fruitful down the line. And I to add to that, I think that it would not work for you and you wouldn't have the goodwill and network that you have if you were not coming from a genuine place. But I think that you really do take interest in people. And if you get along on a friend level and you can rip jokes and talk about sports or whatever, you're going to be boys. And it doesn't matter if you need anything from them or not. And then if it's not genuine, if it doesn't connect, that's fine. And yeah. I don't think that you've really, you've never really forced it. I think that's very important. I mean, it's kind of boring to force it, honestly. Like, it's like, you don't want to like, like, I hate having conversations with people where you're like, all right, cool, dude. Like, we're just going through the motions of this yeah. because you're eventually going to ask me a question or like yeah, for a favor can, or something. You can and that feel sucks. it. And you I, can feel it. Feel it. I hate getting it. And I also hate being the person on the other side because I'm like, dude, like, I don't want to ask anyone for a favor. Like, that's like the last thing that that I generally want to do because like it's it I feel like it almost is damaging to a friendship or to a relationship just because it it feels like there's something that's artificial about it. 
So, I mean, I think the main thing is just like trying to figure out exactly if, if you're meeting someone and it's a person that you actually want to do business with, then great. Like you guys will figure out a way to make the connection down the road, but not every networking opportunity needs to happen just because you want something from somebody. Yeah. And you probably also don't have to pitch something day one or meeting one. Like you can just meet someone and be like, oh, cool. Great to meet you. Yeah. Awesome. Let's stay in touch if something makes sense. No, 110%. Yeah. No, that's really cool. I think you set that example really well. And I think that by more people understanding how to network properly and not just do this transactional, weird, fake social ask for favors thing, like it just makes it a better place for everyone. Like, please let that just get better for everyone. Be real about stuff. A hundred percent. So thank you for sharing and speaking on that. Cause I think it's important. Um, another question is if you're an artist, be it a band, your own solo project, anything, and you can't crack the code to touring, you feel like you're stuck. You feel like you need an agent for you now, as you've dealt with a ton of bands and booked all sorts of different things at all sorts of different levels, what, what would advice be to somebody looking to get the attention of an agent? Like what, what can you do as an artist to set yourself up for success to get an agent? I think it's always tricky because, you know, in an ideal world, you want the person to come to you instead of vice versa. Like very few times does someone actually reach out and they're like, hey, like, you know, we have this sick feature on absolutepunk.net and here's our song that's that's on our Zanga profile. Like, will you <laughs> book our band? Like that, unfortunately, like it just doesn't really work. I think like it kind of honestly goes back to two things. It goes back to it, it goes back to networking because ultimately if you are able to get someone to vouch for you, whether it's a manager or someone that works at a label or, you know, works at just like a PR company or a tech company, like the the credibility and the source makes it more appealing to want to actually like click a link and listen to some music because, I mean, it's different now because we're in quarantine and I've been listening to way more music than I normally would be if we weren't working from home all day. But, yeah. um, you know, I think, I think that's part of it, but also B is just making sure that like you're always showing your best possible self when putting yourself out there because oh, you know yeah if, that's big like like say like you got a link for for a new band and you know we just have to click on it and you click on it and it's like you know a fucking 200 youtube videos that all have like 12 views on them each but then like there's one song that has like you know a ton of plays on it, the song's really good it kind of gets drowned out because you're thinking all right well this one works but clearly nobody really cares about anything else like what, what, like what is, what are the red flags here as opposed to like, all right, well, here's like a great song. Like let's like you only be showcasing what the best possible version of yourself is until you have a team around you. Yeah, that's actually a great point too. It's, I think that for some reason, at least a lot of the submissions that I'll see is like, you'll get a whole life story. You'll get a whole biography and a yep. whole discography and kind of to your point of networking and keeping emails short. It's like, realistically, if you're going to get the attention of somebody that you're like shooting to work with, like they, they're probably very busy and just sending that one song and making sure every profile looks good, uh, at least for me, I'm, I'm only going to look at one anyway. True. I mean, literally, it's like a long email is way more detrimental than an email that would just say, hey, I thought you'd like this. And then you just send the link. Bro. Because then, the, then the person just like, oh, shit, maybe I will like this. Let me check this out. Yeah, church. That is so, so real. 
Um, okay, cool. I think that's good advice. Um, another thing is you're an artist, you're in your lane, but you just want to grow more. You're just like, damn, we've been touring for however long, or we're starting the tour. Uh, like, is there, would you have any piece of advice to building your draw or making yourself more valuable as an artist? Like, is there a time to headline and a time to support or like just to, to kind of build that a little bit more? Totally. I mean, in a traditional sense, when we're not dealing with the concert industry currently in shambles at the moment, <laughs> yeah. um, you would you would definitely kind of try to figure everything based off of when you're putting out other content. Because in an ideal world, you really want to time everything up based off of when you're putting out new music. So, Because you want the new music to impact the touring and the touring to impact the new music and everything else you guys have going on. So depending on where you are as a band, you know, your ultimate goal should be to build up and be able to do your own headliner and continue building your own headline business. And so you can see, so cause that's the only time you're going to substantially be making money and you can actually kind of like carve your own path doing things that way. So, you know, if you're a newer artist that has, you know, your first release coming out, then it definitely makes sense to go and try to support and build up your fan base up until the point where you feel confident that you can go out and, and, and hold your own in 200 to 300 capacity rooms. Um, but it always comes down to just timing of, all the other content you're putting out. Like it's like a little bit of a, it's different now with coronavirus because you need to be putting out content anyway just to kind of keep keep things going. But in like a normal traditional sense, like you want to make sure that like the releases that you're putting out are timed up right so that way people are going to be drawn to go and check out other things you have going on and they just impact each other in a positive way. Yeah, I like that. Again, simply stated, but I think that that says it all very well. Um. Okay. So then another thing that I wanted to talk, I think we did Hit a pretty me. good job. We got, we got kind of businessy there. You told your story. We, <laughs> we did, uh, shared some bits for some people. There's a lot to Ryan Soroka outside of professional Ryan Soroka. And honestly, that's my favorite part and probably why people take such a liking to you and you are good at networking. Cause you're not just like a boring suit. You have a billion ridiculous quirks about you and the extent that you will take an inside joke or that you will, will do for the sake of comedy. It's, is, to, a, it's to a, it's to a detriment at some point. I think though <laughs> it is, truly my favorite thing about you and i think for the first time i don't know i yeah i would say the first time you've kind of you have a new platform to showcase that because you started podcasting yes my fiance tour and i who actually we met on warp tour so another warp tour success or partially yes. because of warp tour um we recently started our own podcast because even prior to the coronavirus quarantine we watch a disgusting amount of reality TV shows. <laughs> the, the best being 90 Day Fiance, in my opinion. Uh, so, you know, as soon as we we're in shelter in place, we kind of wanted to figure out how to do something that's a little bit more productive, you know, that's creative to keep our sanity. So we started a podcast. It is called Reality with Ryan and Tori. And we've just been talking to both our friends and surprisingly people that have been on some reality TV shows about all the various shows that we've been binging nonstop. Dude, it's so good. Just because I feel like so many people that know you don't get to understand the levels of the the humor and the odds and ends things you do. So the fact that you're doing anything 
to to just put yourself out there and like let people understand that side of you more is so good. And the fact that you're doing it with Tori, like, let's go. Oh, dude, it's it's great. If you got a chance, definitely please listen. We're on Spotify, Apple, wherever you guys listen to podcasts. I can't believe I said that. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's happening. It's just it's, it's just funny. Ryan. Like you know, at work and life in general is just very stressful. So I think it's funny to be able to just like take a minute and decompress and watch some stuff that you're watch drama at an arm's length and then just talk about it is like the funniest thing ever because we like I I get so worked up during work and like it's it's hard to not get stressed and anxious on like a daily basis and everyone deals with it but it's just so funny to come down and be like man this sucks but at least I'm not like a 60 year old dude trying to meet trying to marry a 20 year old from a third world country in a, a third world part of the Philippines right now on 90 day fiance and then i'll be like i'm cool with that that's i'm i'm happy i'm to not be in that position that's the perspective you need to remind yourself that life is okay absolutely at least i'm not getting thrashed on the internet for like kind of being a creep or like not understanding <laughs> that other cultures exist oh it's so good and it's also just fun i think like i i admire you are, I'm jealous of the fact that you get to do a fun one. Cause as much as I love where are all my friends, it's more of like the business inspirational kind of grind. And I'm, I'm here for my jokes, but I like to use it as a platform to tell people's stories, you know? No, and that's, that's great, dude. I mean, listen, you can always start a second podcast where yeah. it's just all jokes, or maybe you just have people come on and talk about shitty tour experiences or shitty like being at a band experiences that are now in hindsight really funny. Yeah, I had a brief experience, a brief one where I did like four episodes with my buddy Frank Lepore, who's a professional Magic the Gathering player. Perfect. And it was a podcast about nothing. And it was, we weren't allowed to talk about music and we weren't allowed to talk about magic. And it was just us riffing. So maybe, maybe I it needs like to be brought back. I feel like there's got to be like tales from the road that, that you can do. Like, for instance, like uh, David Garibaldi, performed halftime at a Green Bay Packers game and I went out for it and we got back to get dinner at his hotel and we walk in and it was a not a not like a regular Milo Pony convention it was a Milo Pony Brony convention that was happening there at the time and I walk in and it took me like maybe a half a second to realize what was going on and he had no idea what was like he's never experienced or seen the videos but i knew immediately exactly what was happening at that convention and it was just like a bunch of bros decked out in milo pony gear playing like playing like Yu-Gi-Oh or like magic the gathering or something in in like the uh, dude in the lobby and it was like it was the greatest thing i've ever seen it was probably like top 10 funniest things that i've ever dude. walked in on in my life no you're so right that's i always think about like the those moments and all of that and you want to tell them but I also worry sometimes like the levels of knowing the personalities of the people around you and then that interacting with it for people to fully understand it that's an art to tell the story yeah I guess I guess that is a little bit of liability also depending on the stories that could come out <laughs> yeah facts super true Anyway, I think we did a pretty good job telling your story did I miss anything I certainly learned a lot. I, th I think I, I think that truly covers it, man. I mean, still booking bands. I mean, not really right now. That part sucks. But, you know, it's just kind of hoping that this is going to be over relatively soon. Yeah, I intentionally didn't dabble or get too into coronavirus because I feel like it's going to be such a, it's not going to last forever. And I want this podcast to hold its own forever. 
That's fair. I think I think realistically, we're probably not going to see live tours in the way that we have been until at least the top of next year. Unfortunately, yeah, I think you're right. It's probably 2021. The issue Six is that there's it's all on a state level. So like, even if like Indiana and Missouri are starting to open up and and be open the shows, like you can't just book a tour. I mean, you could, but like you're not going to be able to like do like a true tour of like five states at a time. Yep. And then there's also the thing of like, okay, what if they open up small clubs at like 200, 300 cap? Then it's like, all right, how much can you realistically do there? They, they or, opened a venue in, uh, I want to say it was Mississippi for like the first like publicized show. And like it's mm-hmm. generally like a 1,000 seated capacity venue and they scaled it down to 229 for uh, for the sake of being able to like deal with all the social distancing laws. Yeah. But then also it's like, I was thinking about this. What if a big artist wants to get back on the road, does an underplay tour? You're still not really doing anyone any favors because you know people are going to line up and just mob it outside and defeat the whole point of it. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult to enforce everything. Yeah, so I think you're right, probably. But I also think that this will make people realize how sick live shows and events are. And come back to it with such a wave of appreciation. I think they will. I mean, it's going to take time. Like we, UTA's like IQ department did a survey uh, to try to figure out like what people's perception is of entertainment right now. And I think 40% of people said they weren't going to be ready to go back to larger shows until there's a vaccine. So I think it really depends on like the genre. Like I think like the, the, the kids that are going, like the kids that are like, you know, Teenage, late teenage, like early 20s are going to be down to go to shows, but like Billy Joel fans probably aren't going to go and try to see him anytime soon. Yeah. So it's it's definitely tough. Yeah, it is an interesting one. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I figured your story was bigger than that. And I, I didn't want to just be like, talk to me about live music and the coronavirus. So in yeah. six months when somebody finds this podcast or whenever it is, they're like sick. Or they'll just be like, wow. That dude was very depressed the entire time. <laughs> dude, it's it's, yeah. it's tough, man. But whatever. Tori's keeping me sane, so I appreciate that. But Yeah, dog. And you have reality now. And reality reality is keeping us sane also. So that's been Where cool. Where can everyone find you? People can find <laughs> me on Instagram and definitely check out reality. Our Instagram is at realitypod. R-E-A. L I T E A P O D. And then what's what's your IG? Spelling. My IG is just my name, Ryan Soroka, R Y A N S S as in Sam, O R O K A. Dope. Bro, thank you so much for doing this. This was super fun. Dude, it was a long you. time coming. This is awesome, man. It's good to see you also. Yeah, I know. Damn, it's been too long. So there you have it Ryan's story, Ryan's life, all of the advice. I love this dude. He's so rad. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, find him on social media. Let him know that you liked it. His handle is at Ryan Soroka, like he said. And you can find his podcast anywhere you can find podcasts. It's Reality. So R-E-A-L-I-T-T-E-A. And then that on Instagram is Reality Pod. Find them. Let them know. Hit them with a follow. If you love this podcast and you haven't yet, if you subscribe to it, if you rate it, if you review it on Apple Podcasts, hit it with five stars. All of those things are extremely helpful for me, helps the pod grow, helps me get more guests, all that good stuff. So there you go. I'll be back next week with another episode.